Hello, hello. This is Rachel Leibovich, your Midwestern Jewish priestess and all-around teacher and forever learner for the Being Animal podcast. And today we're going to spend some time reflecting on the original very first episode that I posted where I talked a little bit about this struggle to kind of embrace something that wasn't necessarily normative or something that a lot of people wouldn't consider to be a successful path forward or taking risks that might damage your reputation. And that kind of became a through line for our next couple of episodes in the ways that we're going to be chatting about how I'm moving through this space right now. It seems to be pretty resonant for lots of folks. And so I'm hoping it continues to be resonant. And if you have any questions or comments, you can always hop on our Patreon and send us your thoughts and your feelings about what's coming up for you as you listen to this journey. But one thing that I realized as I was describing my experience going through childhood and going to college and trying to find my place was that I had spent a lot of time doing things for other people and fabricating this persona of who I wanted Rachel to be, right? Who I wanted myself to be. And that really came out in messed up intuitive choices or lack of intuitive choices that were made specifically to maintain this persona. And it came out as someone who was really quiet for most of my life up until probably I got to college and someone who was really afraid to kind of speak up and speak out And also someone who was afraid to kind of actually say who I was and who I was growing to be. And growing up, I always got the comment that I was just such a nice girl. And the nice girl trope is seen all over and is reinforced when we assume or need women and their ideas in their speech and literally anything that they do to be palatable to general audiences. That's kind of what makes you come off as nice, which has the unfortunate effect of also being a muzzle, right? For lots of folks who identify with that struggle. And so growing up, I always just wanted to be nice. I wanted to be good and I wanted others to think of me that way. So I went out of my way to support folks emotionally when perhaps I was giving from a place of lack. And I always wanted to be the person that folks would confide in. And I always wanted to be involved in other people's lives to like show that I was caring. And when I was met with disrespect, I didn't say a whole lot about it or stand up for myself. I kind of just let it roll over me. Even though deep down inside, that was kind of an unprocessed emotion, right? It didn't really roll off me. I just put out this persona so that people would think I'm not inflammatory. And I think for many folks, 
there gets to be a tipping point where you just absolutely can no longer withhold your true self from coming out. And for me, this happened a lot when I was in high school. I kind of started showing signs that I was going to break free in my junior and senior year. And that was really because I faced a lot of anti-Semitism. I went to a Catholic high school. I was bullied in public school. So my parents switched me over to a Catholic high school where I was still bullied, but the little fool priestessing or joke that I make with my community is like when they were bullying me at public school, it was like they were bullying me. But when I went to Catholic school, it was just systemic oppression and everybody feels that. Um, obviously not to make light of it, but the encounters that I had with people, Holocaust deniers, folks saying that, you know, I was the devil and my skin would burn when I would go into church because our school went to church every Tuesday, really built up in me. And I always started on the path of education, right? Like when I was even a little kid, I was like, okay, well, they just don't know what this is. And I'd try to teach them. And as I grew older, I realized like that is really effective for receptive and open ears. And it's just a fact that not every body is going to be open. And what ended up happening was I was making a lot of headway with my educational work that I was doing on my own. Um, I would teach the classes in our religious studies about Judaism and my family came in and we did a Passover for our classroom. And, you know, my teachers would not know how to pronounce yarmulke. And so I would just kind of step in and like correct them, which was kind of a flex there. I'm starting to flex my voice. And when I got into high school, I met a student who was a Holocaust denier, who was really, really intensely believing that all of the facts, the stories, the histories, the science of what has happened in the Holocaust was not true. And it was fabricated by Jewish people to kind of perpetuate this narrative that we are marginalized, but in reality, we're somehow pulling the strings behind um, Western society with, you know, our Jewish mind control. And later that evolved into Jewish space lasers, which made for incredible memes, but um, really, really old forms of Judaism and um, really, really old forms of anti-Semitism that were coming up in really intense anti-Jewish thought. And so, you know, I was going to be educational. I was like, this person just doesn't know. And so I went to my school board and I said, okay, I am going to teach an entire class to the entire school at Holocaust Remembrance Day about the Holocaust and we're going to just like do this education and the, you know then it'll be fine right and the school feigned a lot of interest in that they gave me a date for an entire school assembly in which we were going to spend an hour doing this type of stuff we were trying to my mom and I were trying to find Holocaust survivors who could come and speak to our school And we were looking up documentaries and emailing back and forth with Holocaust museums to try to figure out how we can do this well and with sensitivity. And the day that I was supposed to do this presentation for my school, I got called into the principal's office and they were like, 
we've decided that what you're going to talk about is too sensitive to bring up to students and we're worried about their emotional well-being. And so I just kind of sat there in awe, <laughs> like, how could this happen? I put so much work into this and I shouldn't even have to do this in the first place, but I did it because I really believe in education and how it can fix this problem for me. And I was like, what do you mean you think, you think it's too sensitive? Like, everybody should know about genocides and there are ways to do that that carry both the tension of this is absolutely horrifying, but also we as individuals and as a collective can make sure that this never happens again and we can take steps right now to organize against humanitarian crises and war and genocides that are happening right now. We can do things in this moment. And they told me that I could say a Christian prayer over the loudspeaker about the Holocaust and that instead they were going to use that time for a tornado drill. And I got so mad. I got so mad. It was righteous anger and it boiled my blood. Maybe for the first time in my life, I really felt a swell of anger and I just walked out of the school. I called my mom and she picked me up and I didn't go back to school for like three days because what could I learn from an institution that believed that? What could I possibly learn from any teacher who wouldn't teach me about my own people, about um, with my classmates and their histories and the people who surround us? How could we not learn about actual life things? It made going back to school after those three days extremely difficult. But that ignited a passion in me to realize that this path that I had been walking of being really nice was not going to work. It was not going to suit me forever. And that fire that was ignited from being faced with this blatant anti-Semitism really led me in my path to continue studying feminist studies and learn more myself, but to bring that anger, that fire to the streets. And that's what got me engaged in lots of social activism and social justice work. And what spurred my dedication to social justice with Esperanza's Acres and community involvement and grassroots movement work. Um, but it wasn't until I did my master's and I came across this situation all over again. Texts and sources in my post-humanist classes were just blatantly ripping off the Kabbalah. And it seemed like my classmates who were supposed to be invested in environmental justice were all of a sudden becoming invested in the politics and policy of what 
people consider to be palatable to make change. And I got so mad once again, I could not handle it. And I had to release this nice girl. I had to be done. I was exhausted from taking on other folks' emotional situations, their burdens. I was giving from a place of lack. And I just was trying so hard to put out this persona that my Christian background would be appealed by and I could still find friends. But what I was finding instead were people who were just not aligned and who didn't see me and didn't believe in the same truths of life that I believed in. And so with my mentor, Aliza Rivka from Mariposa Movement, I created pieces of art that represented what I became this what I came to call this Rochester Rachel, this person that I had put so much time and energy into building in order to survive my childhood and my high school experience and adolescence. And to hold that girl, that nice girl with compassion and say, thank you for serving me as long as you have. You've given me so much but I'm going forward in a different path and I can't take you with me and to burn those pieces into an alchemical transformation of what I've now embraced as being Rachel the witch or Rachel the priestess, Rachel who walks with the goddess because the inherent problem was nice girls aren't witches, but I was being called a witch anyway, and it hurt. And nice girls don't make waves by being spiritual leaders and don't push back against hegemonies that they encounter and don't raise their voices in song and raise their bodies to dance. And I wanted to do all of that. I wanted to do that so badly. I wanted to continue doing that and hosting spaces where other folks would feel that fire to do that. And it was extremely difficult. Like I said in my opener, it felt like I was dying and it was really hard. You know, a lot of folks would pathologize it as like a depressive moment where I just felt lost because I had relied on this identity of being nice and being this PhD anthropologist. And all of a sudden that was gone. And I was trying to step into something new. I'm trying to step into the witch. I'm trying to step into the goddess, the priestess inside of me. And when I finally realized that I would not be happy unless I stepped into that moment. I could not move forward unless I just looked myself in the mirror and said, you're a witch, you're a priestess. You walk with the goddess and you have gifts that other people need and want. That was the moment in which joy and manifestation of abundance started pouring out. And the creativity that has come from this has been absolutely unreal and this kind of opening of a floodgate to a new 
me that's always been there, but has just kind of been tampered down by this nice girl has created so much healing for others who see me walking in this path, but also in the medicines that I make and in the programs that I'm putting out and even being able to make this podcast imperfectly on a voice memo on my phone. All of these things come from alchemizing this nice girl into a witch. And a lot of my friends have said, like, how do you deal with the grief of this transformation of letting yourself go and transforming into something new? And that's honestly how I found dance. And something that I joke about is I love being bad. I love being bad. I love being petty. I love that rush of the naughty, the thing that you're not supposed to do if you're a nice girl. And so I have a ritual practice. And if you ask my partner, um, I'm sure it seems kind of wild because he'll be saying, oh, I'm on my way home. And I'll text him back. Okay. When you come home, the lights are off and there are about a hundred candles burning and I'm watching the Taylor Swift reputation world tour on Netflix and I'm dancing out my petty. I'm dancing out my bad, my bad girl, the naughty witch. And so don't mess up the vibe. And so he'll come home and just kind of scurry upstairs. But that, that practice of just letting that energy run, this energy that has just been demonized, right? As being something the opposite of what women should strive for, the opposite of what nice girls strive for was so incredibly liberating and it really allowed me to feel into what it feels like to practice the bad or the bad emotions the negative the darkness that we've been taught to strive away from to walk away from And there is this beautiful moment in Magic of the Ordinary, which is a book I always recommend folks pick up, that talks about how what we experience is actually the darkness and how the goddess is pure light and we live in darkness Because if we were to experience the fullness of the light, we would just crumble. We would just absolutely be reduced to ashes. We couldn't comprehend the fullness of the light. But in the moments of darkness, we meet the goddess. Our world that we walk is the darkness. And we see the world as a creation of the goddess. Magic of the Ordinary also says that there are two ways that you can be learned in the goddess. And that's the word of God, which is the Torah, or the work of God, which is the earth. And the earth is darkness. It's darkness compared to the goddess. And so when we demonize these feelings of 
darkness that we feel like we should turn for the towards the light we're missing the essential part of walking with the goddess on this earth we're missing the entire earth and we don't connect with her work and that leaves out perhaps the greatest gift that the goddess could ever bestow to us is the interconnection that we have with the earth and the animals and the plants and the minerals and all the beautiful beings that make up this space. And I'm not here to say that I'm a bad person, right? In the way that we think about bad people, like I'm not a murderer and I'm not actually petty in real life, but I am a bad person and that perhaps I'm not nice anymore. Perhaps I'm not Christian. I'm not palatable to a Christian dogma. And perhaps I'm not staying silent about the oppression that I've experienced and the oppression in my community. And I'm not staying silent about who I am. I'm not trying to be nice girl anymore. I'm just Rachel. And some people might think that's bad. Some people might think that that's demonic, pagan. They say all these things that are supposed to mean bad, bad words, right? I'm a witch, but I am a witch. I am in the darkness. We are all in the darkness because we are all from earth. So next week, we're going to dive in a little bit more into this witch wound and get into the nitty gritty details of embracing the witch. And I would definitely recommend that folks check out the Esperanza's Acres blog post about anti-Semitism, which kind of touches on this witchiness, right? That we've experienced over time. But the witch wound is really deep, and that's something that's been really incredibly poignant as I'm breaking free of this nice girl and embracing the witch. So as always, you can support the work that we're doing at Esperanza's Acres in our community programs, our Jewish farming, and our animal sanctuary by just subscribing to our Patreon for $10 a month, and that'll get you access to a special container in which you can post all your questions all your comments, things that you want us to talk about, and we'll we'll chat you back. We want to know what's going on. How did this hit, hit for you? How was it received in your body? And you can find more information about the work that we do at www.esperanzasacres.org. I'll see you next week.